Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, July 16th, 2010. doing Friday light today. That means we're doing one topic. And I think it's a good classic one and one that needs to be heard. Stay tuned. More details. Fourthly coming. That didn't sound correct. Hmm. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. We live in uh, treacherous times spiritually. There's a lot of people within the physical, uh, visible church uh, that, well, what they're preaching and teaching just doesn't square with God's Word. You know, biblical Christianity is not that hard. You open the book and, you know, you correctly handle it and you teach it and you let it decide what's going to be said. And um, pastors, uh, well, they've gotten bored with that. It's just so not relevant. And they can't big build their big mega empires to their egos if um, they're... You know, preaching, you know, biblical doctrine. I mean, who wants to hear that? Anyway, <laughs> so if you've listened to this program with any uh, any regularity for any length of time, you know that uh, we try to have a little bit of fun along the way. And then one of the things we try to do on Fridays, sometimes we move it around, is this, a thing we call Friday Light. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to stick to a singular topic. Today's singular topic is a classic debate between uh, the late Dr. Walter Martin and a radio, um, a Mormon radio guy by the name of Van Hale on the topic of Mormonism. And uh, one of the great things about this particular ba- debate is that it took place long before post-modernity uh, set in. And as a result of it, uh, it, it has a completely different set of assumptions that it's working from, and those assumptions are not challenged uh, by postmoderns in the audience because they they're not there, and so there's some refreshingly good stuff to hear in this uh, debate, especially when it comes to defending the historic Christian faith against the false gospel and false religion that is Mormonism, which claims to be a Christian religion or a Christian denomination, and it's anything but. Mormonism is not Christianity. 
it is uh, it, it. I mean, if Mormonism is Christianity, then so is Islam. That's just the ba- the best way I can put it. So, without any further ado, here is uh, Dr. Walter Martin and Van Hale on the debate: Is Mormon is Mormonism Christian? Van Hale, who is uh, a uh, broadcaster on a radio program on KZZI called Religious Forum. Uh, the moderator today will be Dr. Walker, who is the head of co- the communications department at the University of Utah. And uh, Dr. Walker, will turn the time to you now. Thank you very much. No, that's not necessary. The format for this discussion uh, will be as follows. First, Dr. Martin will make a presentation for approximately 15 minutes. Then Mr. Hale will speak for about 15 minutes. Following that, Dr. Martin will receive 10 minutes to uh, either extend his own arguments or rebut Mr. Hale's. Mr. Hale then will receive 10 minutes of speaking time. That will put us at a little after 3 o'clock, at which point we will invite your participation at the microphones. And uh, just to reinforce uh, Reverend Spencer's message that we uh, ask you to make direct questions uh, relevant to the issue and to the speakers. So we will begin with Dr. Martin. Dealing with the subject is Mormonism Christianity. I want to address myself primarily to the key ultimate test of whether something is Christian. If you are corrupt in your doctrine of God and the person, nature, and work of Jesus Christ, it doesn't make any difference where else you're right. You are not Christian. Wow. That is a wonderfully true statement, something you don't hear today. Yeah, if you're corrupt in your nature of God and the nature of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done, it doesn't matter where else you are right, you are not Christian. Well said. Doesn't do any good to argue peripheral materials, prophetic speculations, anything else. If you have the wrong God and the wrong Redeemer, you're lost. And that's been the message of the Christian church historically. Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name given under heaven among men whereby you must be saved, Jesus Christ. The scripture is very clear that the name Jesus Christ itself doesn't mean much unless we're talking about the historic Christ, the biblical revelation. 2 Corinthians 11 reminds us that there are other Jesuses, other spirits, other gospels which mimic Christianity. That there are false apostles and deceitful workmen who transform themselves on the outside to look like the apostles of Christ. But inwardly, they are savage wolves who divide the flock and do not have mercy on the church. I want to deal primarily with the biblical doctrine of God. Now, this has been addressed by Mr. Hale in an article in Sunstone Magazine, to which I will refer, and uh, also uh, in various Mormon books. I have a great deal of documentation. Obviously, in a debate like this, you can't haul out suitcases full and stack it up. Those that would like to check it out will find references in abundance, both in my works and in the uh, works of Sandra and Gerald Tanner, The Changing World of Mormonism. And if you want to go even further, go where we went, to the archives of the Mormon Church, and pull the references yourselves. The important thing is, what I say is documented. It is Mormon theology, classic Mormon theology. Now, as Mr. Hale admits, monotheism is belief in the existence of one God. Webster says polytheism is belief in more than one God. Whether you worship those gods or not is irrelevant. What their character is, is irrelevant. The only thing that's important is, how many are there? 
And the Old Testament revelation is quite clear. Deuteronomy 6, 4, cited by no less an authority on the subject than Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 12. Master, what is the great commandment of the law? This, said Jesus, is it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one Lord. The affirmation in Deuteronomy 6.4, echoed by Christ in Mark 12, puts the divine stamp of approval on what Judaism has taught for more than 3,300 years. In other words, the monotheistic concept of the Jews is the basis of Christianity. About that, there is no doubt. If you disagree with the monotheism of the Old Testament and the monotheism of the New Testament, which Christ affirmed, then you cannot be Christian. So you are excluded. Simply, A cannot be non-A. And if you are a monotheist, you can't be a polytheist. If you're a polytheist, you can't be a monotheist. Christians and Jews are monotheists. Mormons are polytheists. They believe in the existence of more than one God and teach that man may become a God. As man is God once was, as God is, man may become. It is also extremely significant that Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon religion, specifically spelled this out so that nobody could misunderstand him. I will preach on the plurality of gods. I have selected this text for that express purpose. He goes on to say, I've always declared God to be a distinct personage, Jesus Christ, a separate and distinct personage from God the Father, the Holy Ghost, a distinct personage, and a spirit. And these three constitute three distinct personages and three gods. Joseph Smith not only denied the Christian doctrine of the Trinity by teaching tritheism, which is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three separate gods, which is not Christian theology, never has been. In fact, Mr. Hale uh, cites this in his Sunstone article using the Athanasian Creed. Uh, so I don't think that needs to be documented. Joseph said the head God organized the heavens and the earth. I defy all the world to refute me. In the beginning, the heads of the gods organized the heavens and the earth. The heads of the gods appointed one God for us. Now. That isn't bad enough. Joseph Smith then moves ahead to make the God of the Bible and of Christian theology, in his own words, a monster. Listen. Many men say there is one God. That's the Christian church. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are only one God. I say that's a strange God anyhow. Three in one? One in three? It's a curious organization. All are to be crammed into one God according to sectarianism. No. According to historic Christianity, the three persons are the one God. Smith, it would make the biggest God in all the world. He would be a wonderfully big God. He would be a giant or a monster. Close quote. So, the blasphemy of the Trinity is the beginning of Mormonism. The denial of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit as three persons in one God. A second very important point. Jesus Christ is affirmed to be God in human flesh. That is the cornerstone of historic orthodox theology. The Apostles' Creed affirms him as God. The Athanasian Creed as God. The Nicene Creed as God. In fact, there are 2,000 pages entitled The Creeds of Christendom, all of which quote the New Testament copiously and by the great church historian Philip Schaff, which teach that Jesus Christ is considered to be the eternal God. Of course there have been heretics. There have been every kind of heretic from the first century, from the Galatian heretics and the Judaizers and the Gnostics, 
all of whom perverted New Testament theology. But the church dealt with them systematically down through the ages at councils and in publishing creeds to refute them, creeds based upon the scriptures. Now, it is biblical theology that Jesus Christ is God. Let us not doubt that for one moment. In Mormon theology, Mormonism teaches that Jesus Christ is one God among many gods. He is a God, but he is not the Almighty God. That is his father, Elohim. Elohim had a father, and he had a father, and he had a father, and he had a father. Infinite regression of the gods. In Mormonism, there is no eternal God. In Christianity, from everlasting to everlasting. Now, the Hebrew says, from eternity into eternity, thou art God. Very clear. Christ affirmed this, quoting Exodus chapter 3. I tell you, before Abraham sprang into existence, he quotes the Septuagint, I am the eternal God. They understood what he meant. The next verse, they reach for stones to kill him for blasphemy, that you being a man make yourself God. Mr. Hale states in the Sunstone article uh, concerning the deity of Jesus Christ that there are several variant translations of the first verse of the Gospel of John. The word was God, King James. He was the same as God, today's English. At what God was, the word was, New English Bible. The Logos was divine, Moffat translation. Did the author intend to say that the word is God, or the same as God, or divine? The difference in these proposed translations has been considered significant. Theological differences have been the center of much discussion and debate, not by Christian theologians, by cultists. Debate by liberal theologians. In other words, there is a liberal school of theology which denies the Bible as the absolute authority. A liberal school of theology which since the 18th century has attacked biblical Christianity. It is to this liberal school which dominates many Protestant seminaries and commentaries today that the Mormon church goes. It does not go for solace to historic Christianity. It does not go to the creeds of Christendom. It does not go to biblical exegesis. It goes to liberals who agree with them by denying the same things that they deny. Oh, man, that, I, that is such a great point. And folks, we suffer from the same problem today. The enemies of uh, of Christianity, in, in, especially uh, guys in Islam, uh, they go to the liberal scholars and quote them against Christians. Yeah, we need liberal theology like we need a hole in our head. We continue. So citing liberals and liberal interpretations doesn't prove your point. Also... We have an interesting statement that follows. Did Paul ever call Jesus God? The question can be answered, yes or no, depending on which translation is used. That's pure nonsense. Because whatever translation you use of John 1.1, 1, 1, the word was God. means the word was God. It's the verb to be, the same one described in Exodus chapter 3. In the beginning, the word already was there. The word was proston theon, face to face with God. The word was God. The word became flesh. If you had one text alone to destroy Mormon theology, it would be John chapter 1, verse 1. Citing liberals against it doesn't prove anything. It's what the text says that makes a difference. And you can read it in English or Greek. What God was, the word was. Eternal deity. Biblical theology is very clear. 
Jesus Christ is eternal God. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Brigham Young, who said that he never published a sermon and sent it out to the sons of men that it couldn't be called Scripture, denied the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. He said that Jesus was conceived the same way we are, sexual relations. And the doctrine of the virgin birth in Mormonism, their miraculous conception, is not conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, but by sexual relations between a resurrected God and the Virgin Mary. And that is affirmed by Talmadge in his Articles of Faith. It is affirmed in multiple quotations in Mormon history. And there are enough ex-Mormons here today to know the references and what I'm saying is true. That is not the biblical doctrine of the virgin birth. So Mormonism bastardizes Jesus Christ. It turns him into the illegitimate child or resurrected God and the Virgin Mary, with whom he committed incest because he originally created her. It denies the doctrine of the Trinity as a monster and blasphemes the God of the Bible. It maintains it's the restoration of Christianity, but nothing is the restoration of Christianity that is contrary to Holy Scripture. We do not judge by prayer. The Mormon says, pray about the Book of Mormon. No, take out Holy Scripture and test the Book of Mormon. Brigham Young said, take up the Bible. Compare it to the faith of the Latter-day Saints and see if the Latter-day Saints' faith will stand the test. Brigham was right. Test it not by prayer, but by Scripture. And if it lies in accordance with Scripture, reject it. Orson Pratt in the seer, convince us of our errors of doctrine, if we have any, by reason, logic, and the, and the Scriptures, and we will be eternally grateful to you. Obviously, we have an invitation to do this. So my purpose, as a professor of biblical studies, as a Baptist minister, and as somebody interested in the truth as a Christian, is not to attack Mormons for whom Christ died, but to criticize in the light of Holy Scripture Mormon theology, which is a pantheon of polygamous gods, a mother god in heaven, your opportunity to become one yourself. When the God of the Bible says, Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I am the first, I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Now, you can call something a God if you want to. Satan is called the God of this age. You can worship anything you want as a God, wood, hay, stubble, stone, gold, silver, whatever you please. But it is not God. It is a creation of your hands or your mind. But the God of the Bible is eternal, from everlasting to everlasting. The God of the Bible says, I am that I am, the Hebrew verb to be. I was, I am, I will ever be. The God of the Bible loved us and became man in the person of Jesus Christ. The God of the Bible paid the price for all our sins on the cross, and Mormonism denies that. The atonement began in the garden and was completed on the cross, and you have to keep working for it. But the Bible says salvation is by grace alone through faith, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not by yourselves at the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. We are his creation created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God has ordained already we should perform them. We are saved by grace to produce good works, and the good works justify us before man, not before God. Our faith justifies us. Mormonism denies justification by faith and says that it's a sectarian doctrine that has done great harm. Really, the Reformation came about through that doctrine and the reaffirmation of Martin Luther, therefore having been justified by faith, past tense. We had peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Mr. Hill 
has done us a great service. In the Sunstone article, he has demonstrated that Joseph Smith himself specifically and deliberately lied to the Mormon people about the doctrine of polytheism. Mr. Hale did that inadvertently by citing Joseph Smith, 1831, 1838, and 1844. When we come to rebuttals, I will be happy to show exactly how it was done. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Martin. Uh, now, Mr. Hale. Yeah, well, let me just start by expressing my appreciation to uh, Ed Decker and uh, Blaine Hunsaker and Jim Spencer for this uh, gracious invitation. I think this is a uh, very fine opportunity to bring together two contrasting ideas. And as I look out over this uh, audience, I see a lot of people that I know from both sides of the issue of uh, Mormonism. And uh, <laughs> So I appreciate uh, this uh, fine opportunity to be here and to discuss with Dr. Martin some of the concepts wherein he feels that uh, Mormonism is not Christian. I would like to, uh, to begin with the question of uh, the, de the definition of Christian. How do we go about defining Christian? And I would just have to concede to Dr. Martin without any reservation that uh, yes, indeed, uh, by certain definitions, Mormonism is not Christian. There just simply is no question about that. By Dr. Martin's definition, Mormonism is not Christian. Uh, I see a, a friend out here that I happen to know has a definition of Christian uh, in, in which Mormonism is Christian. And so as we go back to this uh, particular question, Dr. Martin has presented an idea which I, I think simply does not square at all with historical fact, and that is that there has been throughout Christian history a unity uh, in, in some basic concepts about, Christ, about God and Christ that established beyond question what Christianity, how Christianity should be defined. Well, if you're going to define Christianity as Catholic, then of course Mormonism is not Christian. If you're going to define it as Protestant, then Mormonism is not Christian. It has never claimed to be and has never, uh, never attempted to suggest it. Okay, notice what he's doing. Does this not sound like post-modernity? Long before post-modernity was in vogue, this is always how deception works. Attack the words, redefine them, and voila, you're Christian, or you can, your false doctrine is now Christian. All you have to do is redefine. You play with words like they're elastic. Pour out the real meanings and pour in whatever you want. That's how deception works. Anybody, that Mormonism is either Catholic or Protestant. Uh, it, is, it also has never made the claim uh, to be a part or a continuation of any of the heresies that uh, Dr. Martin has uh, referred to in his, in his remarks. But uh, if we go back to the New Testament itself, when we take a look at the question there, we have the term Christian, it appears three times in the New Testament, and the very best scholarship that, uh, that I have looked at, uh, both liberal, as uh, Dr. Martin likes to write liberal scholarship right on, and also conservative uh, scholarship, uh, realizes that or recognizes and, and uh, advocates that the, the source, the origin of the term Christian 
in application to the early followers of Christ. Who started that? Uh, who came up with that application? Uh, under what circumstances? What they meant by it? Those uh, points we simply cannot at this point in time, we probably will never be able to determine who first came up with the term Christian in reference to the followers of Jesus. So that, uh, that raises a very interesting question. I would think that we would want to go to the first person who used Christian and say, how, how did they uh, define that? And maybe we would agree with that definition, maybe we wouldn't. But uh, the fact is we cannot determine that. So we have to determine whose definition of Christian we are going to use. If we're going to use Dr. Martin's definition, then of course Mormons are not Christian. But uh, one of the things that Dr. Martin does in his, uh, in his comments he makes reference to the subject of God and suggests that Christians throughout all Christian history have believed one point of view on it, that the Jews had one point of view that uh, they advocated for 3,300 years. And so what we basically come down to in this kind of a discussion is a discussion or, or a difference on uh, scholarship pertaining to Judaism and the history of Christianity. Dr. Martin uh, suggests that uh, you can take if you can take someone and apply the term liberal to their scholarship, then we can, dis we can dismiss them as being scholars. However, the fact is that, uh, that uh, a significant number of Bible scholars today, and I will n name and cite some of those for you, would uh, soundly disagree with Dr. Martin on the, the subject of the belief of the Jews for 3,300 years. The idea that uh, there was a, uh, a uniform concept throughout 3,300 years of Judaism uh, in reference to the subject of God simply is not a statement which uh, numerous non-LDS scholars, uh, both conservative and liberal, would agree with. We have, for example, within the Old Testament a number of uh, passages that indicate that the concept of there being more than one person to whom the term God is appropriately applied. And perhaps the most prominent, the one that is cited throughout the early Christian writers, is the passage in Psalm chapter 82. And if we turn to Psalm chapter 82, we see that there is presented there, in that particular psalm, the idea that uh, there is a council of gods. And also, in this particular passage in Psalm 82, which Christ uh, quotes a part of in John chapter 10 is the term ye are gods making reference to men. So we have two different ideas being presented there in that psalm. And this has been commented upon. It's not just something which has been commented upon recently by uh, so-called liberal scholars, whatever that term liberal may have reference to. But the fact is, as we go back historically, we find that throughout the early Christian writings that this passage was very frequently used throughout the uh, various uh, eastern and western branches of Christianity and for a number of centuries as a term or as a passage which they felt believe, presented the idea that men can in fact become deified, become gods. And I have with me today uh, quite a number of pages that I have copied out of a book which is entitled The History of Christian Doctrine. It is produced, it is published by uh, T&T Clark, uh, an English uh, publishing company. And in this particular book, uh, published uh, in the last 10 years, this author goes through the early writings, the early Christian writings, 
of the fathers for the first several centuries talking about the idea that uh, uh, of what is referred to as deification. And he goes to the writings of such, uh, I, I don't know how many people here are familiar with the writings of the early Christian fathers, but uh, he goes through writings of such uh, individuals as Tertullian and Irenaeus and uh, Augustine and Athanasius, citing from them, now uh, m maybe we can just set aside everything that he says about these early writers by saying that uh, this author, uh, Hubert uh, Cunliffe-Jones, that this author is liberal. Maybe we can just say, therefore, we can set aside all of these quotations. But the interesting thing that we find is we go back to those who have been referred to as the, uh, the early Christian fathers during the, what is referred to as the patristic period or to the patristic writings, we see that the idea is, is very, very prevalent of men becoming gods, of there being uh, uh, a council or, or a number of individuals who are gods based upon this passage, not just this one passage alone, but based upon this passage in Psalm chapter 82, verses one, verse 1 and verse 6. Now, uh, so the situation that that obviously raises is that if, if it is a requirement to be Christian, if a requirement is that you must deny that there is not, that the term God is not appropriately applied to any person other than one, then the situation that we are faced with is that such great men who have been viewed not as liberal scholars and not as heretics by the, uh, by the Christian community of today, uh, such men as Augustine, Athanasius, uh, Origen, some question him a little bit on some ideas, uh, Irenaeus, Tertullian, these are men who were viewed during those first centuries of Christianity as being uh, orthodox Christian fathers. And one of the uh, statements, for example, that comes from Athanasius and Augustine both use this, others use it, is this idea that God became man so that men may become God. Uh, throughout the, in fact, I don't know, I don't have time to read very many of these statements, but uh, let me read to you perhaps one from, from Origen. And this happens to come from the set, which is available readily here in the area, the Antonician Fathers. Uh, this by Origen, and it's uh, pages 344 and 345 of volume 4. And he says this, he says, The highest good, then, after the attainment of which the whole of rational nature is seeking, which is also called the end of all blessings, is, is defined by many philosophers as follows. The highest good, they say, is to become as like to God as possible. But this definition I regard not so much as a discovery of theirs as a view derived from Holy Scripture. For this is pointed out by Moses before all other philosophers when he describes the first creation of man in these words. And God said, let us make man in our own image and after our likeness. And then he has the words, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them, and he blessed them. Now the expression, in the image of God created he him, without any mention of the word likeness, conveys no other meaning than this, that man received the dignity of God's image at his first creation, but that the perfection of his likeness has been reserved for the consummation namely, that he might acquire it for himself by the exercise of his own diligence in the imitation of God, 
the possibility of attaining to perfection being granted to him at the beginning through the dignity of the divine image and the perfection real and the perfect realization of the divine image and the perfect realization of the divine likeness being reached in the end by the fulfillment of the words. Now that such is the case, the Apostle John points out more clearly and unmistakably when he makes this declaration, little children, we do not yet know what we shall be, but if a revelation be made to us from the Savior, you will say without any doubt we shall be like him, 1 John 3, 2. By which expression he points out with the utmost certainty that not only was the end of all things to be hoped for, which he says was still unknown to him, but also the, light, the likeness to God, which will be conferred in proportion to the complete, completeness of our deserts. The Lord himself in the gospel not only declares that these same results are future, but that if they are to be brought about by his own intercession, he himself deigning to obtain them from the Father for his disciples, saying, I, Father, I will that they were that Father, I will that where I am, these also may be with me from John 17. Now this idea, this uh, one statement from, from Origen, presenting this idea of man's highest potential being deification, becoming gods, and those terms are used throughout the writings of the early Christian fathers, creates a serious problem, I think, for the point that Dr. Martin is, uh, is attempting to make, and that is we, we then end up with a gap uh, even if Dr. Martin could establish that Christianity in recent years has been united on, on this point, you go back to early Christianity and you have difficulty then finding Christians in the first several centuries. Uh, so the question then we, that we have is what was historic Christianity? Is historic Christianity Dr. Martin's description of it presently? He made reference to my citing of the Athanasian Creed. Yes, the Athanasian Creed did set. Uh, a... I want to point out another tactic. Notice how he's defining Christianity. He's saying, well, if you, uh, you know, he's attacking Dr. Martin and basically accusing Dr. Martin of having a unique definition of Christianity that's all his own. Yet Dr. Martin laid out the historical, biblical Christian faith even citing the word and the creeds. Uh, Dr. Martin doesn't have his own definition of Christianity. The definition that he holds to and subscribes to was a definition that was hammered out millennia ago. I just want to point that out. Standard uh, position for several points pertaining to the nature of God and the Godhead. And those points are uh, that... The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Ghost is God. Uh, also the point which, of course, Latter-day Saints would not disagree with in the, in the least. That's a, a position that has been advocated from the first LDS publication, the Book of Mormon, on to the present. However, the, uh, the point wherein Latter-day Saints would differ with the Athanasian Creed is the point that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are of one undivided substance. That particular point, which is not... Uh, referred to. No, no biblical statements or references are referred to present that position. It is simply a statement which is not biblical, is the point wherein Latter-day Saints would, uh, would diverge from the Athanasian Creed. However, the Athanasian Creed was, uh, was a development that went through a process of a great deal of uh, controversy and so forth. There was a lot of diversity in early Christianity, and to say that historic Christianity 
going all the way back to the apostles' time, has had one point of view, just simply is not an accurate position. And in my next comments, I'll talk about some of the diversity that we see within the New Testament itself. Okay, we're going to pause right there, and we're going to take our first break. If you would like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Dr. Rod Rosenblatt discussing the church's need for world-class scholarship and the unique way in which the British academic model offered at the Wittenberg Institute can help provide you with a top-level postgraduate theological degree. Christians are dependent on good scholarship in a way that sometimes we forget. Think of Tyndall House in England. Some of those evangelicals were so ruled away from the big table conversation in the Church of England that they had to develop graduate training under particular guys who had a high view of Christ and a high view of Scripture. Over the years, they did marvelous stuff with individual young scholars who came there to be trained. So what's the difference between the European model and the American model? The European is used to saying things like, I studied under so-and-so, and the American, uh, that's pretty foreign. And I'm not here talking about the diploma mills. I'm talking about somebody who is tutored, something like Oxford or at Cambridge, and uh, walked through graduate work. If you would like more information about the Wittenberg Institute's British-styled research master's degree, then visit them on the web at wittenberginstitute.org forward slash PCR, or call them at area code 425-533-8659. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low 
prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. We're back. Warning, if you think Mormons are Christians, you're wrong. They're not. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring... Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it along to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, we're going to continue with this uh, debate on is Mormonism Christian between the late Dr. Walter Martin and uh, Mormon radio uh, host uh, Van Hale. Thank you. And now we return the floor to Dr. Martin for 10 minutes of uh, presentation. First of all, in response, uh, it's a Christian church's definition we're dealing with here. I make this as a present to Mr. Hale. Uh, an article done recently by Christian Research Institute citing all the references that you had, only we did it in context, you didn't. And each one of them in context shows categorically that the church fathers did not believe that man could become deity. So check it out for yourself. I think you'll find it afterwards to be very useful in future reference. The definition of the Christian church is there is always one God. I don't say liberal scholarship can't be good scholarship. I said, if a liberal scholar begins with the premise that the Bible is not the Word of God, if he begins with the premise that the Trinity is not true, that religion evolved from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and he denies the deity of Jesus Christ, which is what these men specifically do, then it doesn't make any difference who they are. Their theology is just as corrupt as Mormonism. And they are recent comers anyhow. The liberal scholars that are doing all this talking and quoting are people that arrived in the last couple of hundred years. I mean, what happened to the 1,700 years before that? Uh, I'm amused by Mr. Hale's statement if Dr. Martin wants to quote a recent definition. Recent? The Athanasian Creed? Recent? The Nicene Creed? Recent? Uh, that's recent? The Jewish Encyclopedia? If the Jews don't know the view of God, there ain't nobody that does. Quote, Universal Jewish Encyclopedia, Monotheism. The belief in one God is a distinguishing characteristic of Jewish religion. It is not the outgrowth of philosophical reasoning, as it was among the Greek philosophers, but the flowering of the ethical spirit of the Jewish people. Jewish Encyclopedia, monotheism, the belief in one God. I couldn't care less what a church father said or what a liberal scholar said. If a Jew tells me, and I have quoted Mormon doctrine to many rabbis, they first ask you if you're kidding. That's the first comment I got from Muslims. You're joking. 
And I said, no, well, this is consistent with the Old Testament. They said, what Old Testament is the Mormon Church reading? Because our Old Testament says there's only one God. As I said before, you can call anything you want a God. It doesn't make it deity. There is only one deity, and that's what God said. Uh, it's a very tenable view, contrary to what Mr. Hale said. Uh, Isaiah, which I quoted before, he didn't respond to, and he has an opportunity to. Beside me, there is no God. There was no God formed before me. There shall not be after me. So the quotation from First John, which he cited, doesn't appear what we will be, is answered by Isaiah. The one thing we know we will be is God, because God said so. Uh, a quote, historical problem for Mr. Hale. Uh, he says, we don't know when the first Christians were named. They were in Antioch, Mr. Hale, first. And the Apostle Paul uh, designated Christians as people who believed in and followed the apostolic doctrine of Jesus Christ. And he said, if one does not listen to the doctrine of the apostles, a man is factious, divisive, he's heretical, and he is to be rejected after the first and second admonition. That's why Mormonism was rejected at the beginning, because it was heretical, and because it denied the basic Jewish and Christian concept of one God. Psalm 82, 6 and John 10 is already answered for him in a Mormon book by Talmadge, in which Talmadge points out that this is a reference, an irony reference, in which God mocks the judges of Israel and says, I said you are gods. Ha, 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 ha. You will die like men, you unjust judges. If you read that, in the Hebrew, and you check it with John 10, that's what Jesus said. He was not telling you in any way that you could become a god. Again, I would like to point out Joseph Smith's severe aberration in this area, which I think is tremendously important. In Mr. Hale's own statements in his article in Sunstone magazine, he proves to us that Mormonism did not evolve from monotheism to henotheism to polytheism or any li anything like that. He made a mistake. He put down the dates for Joseph Smith's revelation. And this is where the mistake backfires. May I quote it? Number one. An 1831 revelation for the elders of the church reads, You are little children, and you cannot bear all things now. Which meant that the doctrine of polytheism, according to Joseph here, was evolving, according to Mr. Hale also. Number two. In 1838, Joseph Smith pointed, A time to come in which nothing would be withheld, whether there be one God or many gods, they shall be manifest. That's the time to come. Doctrine and Covenants 121, 28. And then the detonation. In 1844, Joseph Smith writes and makes it quite clear, and I quoted part of it before, that he has always preached at all times to all the congregations the doctrine of the plurality of gods. And he said it's been preached by the elders of the church for 15 years. So if you go from 1844 back 15 years, you've got Joseph preaching the doctrine of polytheism one year before the church was founded, which is a little Revelation. Didn't get it straight. And if he thought it was Nephi first and Moroni later. And if the Bible is right when it says no one can look upon God and live, and Joseph looked on him nine years earlier before he got the priesthood, and the Mormons say you can't do it. Unless you have a priesthood, you can't see God. How did Joe manage it? 
nine years before he got the priesthood, that he could look upon God and survive. Now, biblical theology stands. This is not a controversy between Walter Martin's definitions and Van Hale, or Walter Martin's definitions versus liberal scholars. The Roman Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, the Coptic Church, all the creeds of Christendom, all of the basic theologians for 1,700 years specified what Walter Martin is saying. Do not instruct me, sir, in the history of the fathers or of church history and Christian theology. Of that I know very well. I know what Christianity is, and I've been told by no less a person than Ezra Taft Benson, which you didn't know, that I understand very well what Mormonism is, too. So I think I am qualified to say that Mormonism is polytheism. It is the opposite of Jewish monotheism and Christianity. It denies the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. It denies biblical theology repeatedly. And the terrible part about it is nice people who are sincere and dedicated and earnest and looking for the truth are being deceived by people who did not have any knowledge of the original languages of Scripture, didn't know what the meaning of words was, and I have multiple references to show that if you can make God a big man, the way Mormonism does, who procreates sexually, then you can make him a chicken, because if he's got eyes, ears, nose, and mouth, he's got wings and feathers also. The God of Mormonism is not the God of the Bible. Now, why am I so vigorous in this affirmation and in response? to Mr. Hale, because Mr. Hale constantly attacks Christianity and uses liberal scholars to do it. He quotes the Anchor Bible, which no Christian scholar considers seriously when it translates passages in the Old Testament, and they translate passages contrary to the very meaning of the Jews' own understanding of the passages. The Anchor Bible is a very scholarly work. But the Anchor Bible is not considered seriously in the area of Orthodox Christian theology. And the great majority of the church for 1,700 years is Orthodox theology. It is what I am saying, what I am preaching, and what I am teaching. And it would be possible to parade a hundred scholars up here right now from major denominations, including the Roman Catholic Church, who would confirm what I am saying to Mr. Hale's satisfaction. Mormonism is a polytheistic, pagan, eternally polygamous cult which arose in the 19th century and was recognized by the Christian church for what it was. The horror of it is that nice, decent, genuine people have been deceived by another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. It is the task of the Christian church to love the Mormons and to rebuild Mr. Hale and people like him who are trying to rewrite history, rewrite the fathers, and redefine biblical terminology, and they shall not be permitted to do so. Wow. <laughs> He's a little bit straightforward. I, I, if only I could be that straightforward. I, I, that's, a, that's something to strive for, let me tell you. All right, let's hear, uh, hear Van Hale's rebuttal. ...of the writings of the early Christian fathers and of those analyzing the early Christian fathers, and they recognized that there was great diversity among, among the early Christian fathers, in fact, going right into the New Testament. So, you know, I know he, he feels that he can bring up a hundred scholars. Uh, he's down on the Anchor Bible. Uh, that was edited by William F. Albright while he was alive, and uh, David Noel Friedman uh, has uh, continued on with that work. 
And it's a, uh, it's, it's a very substantial work and one that uh, simply cannot be passed off as uh, easily as Dr. Martin would suggest. In that particular uh, series, there are three volumes published by Mitchell Dahoud, who recently died, who is a well-known Catholic scholar. And his commentaries on, uh, his commentary on Psalm chapter 82 and other Psalms in which he talks about the idea within early Judaism of uh, a plurality of gods and so forth are, uh, are presented. They, you can just pass them off, I suppose, and say, well, we have a hundred other scholars who say differently. But the fact is we do have a diversity within Christianity. Who are we going to call Christian? Uh, by Dr. Martin giving me a, a little item here, which I haven't looked at, uh, of course, in which he feels that... You know, what's amazing to me is how much the emergent church relies on almost the identical arguments as uh, Van Hale, this uh, Mormon heretic, uh, uses. I mean, it, it's it's almost like cut from the same cloth. It's like a heretical template that they use, just kind of like Mad Lib theology. Just fill in the blanks. The argument's already written for you. Just fill in the blanks. Wow. He has simply uh, uh, destroyed the arguments of uh, Christian historians who have written in, in significant numbers about the idea of deification, in early uh, Christianity, I think is uh, is really stretching, and I would just again recommend the History of Christian Doctrine, uh, which spends a uh, about 40 pages or so within this book, talking about how prevalent this idea of men becoming gods was within early Christianity. But the other problem that we see is uh, Dr. Martin presents his point of view is how he presents Mormonism. And that, of course, is one of the great criticisms that I have of his book, The Maze of Mormonism and the things that he has done, is that he has gone to a to great uh, lengths and great effort to use certain kinds of terminology and language which is uh, obviously very obnoxious to attempt to portray Mormonism as being something which indeed it is not. Uh, a few little points that uh, he brought out in his comments. He defines Mormonism in his, through his definition. So we have that problem which compounds the other problem. We need to define Christianity, but we also need to define Mormonism. And I would suggest that uh, if Dr. Martin were to define Mormonism properly, that he would find that it is not nearly as far from his brand or his definition of Christianity that he suggests. Uh, and my reason, let me give you a couple of reasons for saying that. First of all, Dr. Martin has, uh, has made a, a comment here today, and I've heard him make it on a, a number of other occasions, that Mormonism denies the deity of Christ. Now, I don't know where in the world he would get that kind of an idea. Uh, if you go to the title page of the Book of Mormon, the title page of the Book of Mormon presents Jesus Christ as being the eternal God. If you, if you go to the Book of Mormon, for example, as you look through the New Testament, Attempting to find passages that present the deity of Christ, you do have a few possibilities. But the idea of the deity of Christ is not very well or very clearly presented in the passages that appear in the Bible. And in fact, in, in most of those passages that do appear in the Bible, there are uh, textual problems or translation problems. So, so my point is... <laughs> That's, uh, I guess that sounds very humorous, but my point is simply this, that uh, if you are to compare LDS scripture to 
to the Bible in, on the subject of the deity of Jesus, what you find is that uh, the scriptures in the LDS canon that advocate the deity of Christ uh, outnumber those in the Bible by about 10 to 1. And yet Dr. Martin uh, uh, continues to advocate that Mormons deny the deity of Christ. I don't know why he would do that, but the title page calls Jesus the eternal God. Mormon chapter 3 says, Jesus whom they slew was the very Christ and the very God. The Doctrine and Covenants in chapter 6, uh, section 6, verse 2, speaking of Jesus says, Behold, I am God. In DNC 10, verse 70, Now remember the words of him who is the life and light of the world, your Redeemer, your Lord, and your God. DNC 11, 1, I am God. 12, 1, I am God. 14, 2, I am God. 17.9, I, Jesus Christ, your Lord and your God. And the same thing in, in DNC 18.47. I could go on for another hour just reading statements from LDS literature presenting Jesus as being God. In LDS thinking, Jesus is God. Also in LDS thinking, the idea of there being one God is very, very uh, strongly advocated it has been throughout LDS history. But what Dr. Martin does in his presentation is he does not look at the concept, he's not interested in the concept in Mormonism of the Godhead. He, what he's interested in doing is being able to apply to Mormonism what he considers to be an incredibly negative term, and that term is polytheism. But the fact is, there, in ancient times or, or also in, uh, in current definitions of polytheism, the idea of polytheism is the, uh, the existence and the worshiping of a number of different gods of different natures. Now, technically, the term obviously means uh, many gods or more than one god. But the fact is that Christians throughout Christian history have believed that there are three persons who are God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have three persons who, each of whom is God. Now, that idea isn't a Jewish isn't a Jewish concept. The Jews don't advocate that kind of an idea. What we come down to, really, in the discussion of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, comes down to a division that occurred between the Roman Catholic Church and the Greek Orthodox Church over the question of the substance, whatever that might be of God, is it divided into three separate uh, parts as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Greek Church took the position that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were of like substance. Each person was God. So you have three persons, each of which is God. And the Greek Church took the position that they were of like substance. The Western Church took the position that they were of the same substance. And they had some Greek terms that they used and debated in reference to that. So while Dr. Martin wants to apply the term polytheism to Mormonism, the fact is that Mormonism has advocated throughout its history that the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, all three are deity, all three are one, but we do not go to the extent of the Athanasian Creed in saying that they are one undivided substance. That point simply is not biblical. No one has yet in the history of Christianity presented a passage from the Bible that says that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are of one undivided substance. So in Christian thinking, there, there is the idea of three persons, each of whom is God, does he not even know how to read Deuteronomy 6.4? For, for heaven's sakes. Ugh. And that concept is believed by Latter-day Saints. What we are down to is a point uh, of difference, and I, I really have no interest in, 
in trying to uh, harmonize Mormonism with uh, Dr. Martin's concept of Christianity. I have no interest in that whatsoever. But Mormonism is not, if you were to portray it fairly and accurately, it is not really as far from his point of view as he would like to suggest. It, it has to do with a question of the dividing of substance, which nobody has taken a uh, position or been willing to try and describe anyway throughout the history of Christianity. So just in conclusion, I would just suggest that as we begin to talk about whether Mormonism is, is Christian or not, we need to determine whose definition we're going to use. Uh, not only for what is Christian, but also for what is Mormon, or what is Mormonism. Thank you very much. We would now like to invite you to participate by asking questions of Dr. Martin or Mr. Hale. There are some ground rules that I will try very hard to enforce. Uh, first one is, looks <laughs> like we have a few questions. The first, the first one is this, that as much as we appreciate your insights and your point of view, we want you to ask questions and resist any temptation to make statements. Uh, because this discussion uh, fundamentally is between Dr. Martin and Mr. Hale. Uh, the second uh, rule I'd like us to follow, or guideline, is for you to keep your questions uh, as clear and direct as you can. And thirdly, I'd like to welcome uh, Mr. Hale to respond uh, after Dr. Martin has to any questions directed at Dr. Martin and certainly vice versa. So with that in mind, since we let Dr. Now, which side is which? I forgot. I'm supposed to know it. Okay, I think we'll begin with Mr. Hale since we began the initial discussion with Dr. Martin. Okay, I'm going to pause right there. We're going to take our second break and we come back. We will hear the balance of the debate between Dr. Walter Martin, the late Dr. Walter Martin, and Van Hale on is Mormonism Christian? Uh, you know, classic example of uh, how deception works. Great, great stuff. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio.
Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Are you tired of giving gifts that are as boring as elevator music? I mean, how many ties and dust-collecting paperweights does a person need? Well, Pirate Christian Radio has the perfect solution to boring gifts. The answer is Cloud9 Living. Cloud9 Living offers more than 1,600 unique and memorable experience gifts in 42 cities nationwide. Gifts such as hot air balloon rides, dinner cruises, stock car racing, skydiving, and combat aircraft dogfighting. Cloud9 Living has gifts for every taste and every budget. For more information on Cloud9 Living, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cloud9. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cloud9. You'll be glad that you did. All right, we're back. Middle of Friday light here at Fighting for the Faith. We have been listening to a a debate between the late Dr. Walter Martin and uh, Mormon uh, radio show host Van Hale on Is Mormonism Christian? Very, very good schooling here on how to um, combat false doctrine and error and also shows you the nature of the arguments that are used to undermine Christianity. Nothing really has changed. It all comes back to what what uh, Satan said in the garden to uh, Adam and Eve. Did God really say? That's what it's all about. All right, so uh, let's continue. We are the the debate is now going to turn to a question and answer period and each of the each of the participants Dr. Martin and Van Hale will be receiving questions from the audience. Here we go. One question per person. Thank you. Okay, question over here from Mr. Hale. I'll word just to do one question. I'd like to thank both of you for coming to uh, shed some light on darkness and Mormonism. If the Mormonist Church believes the Book of Mormon to be the Word of God according to their eighth article of faith, and it contains the fullness of the everlasting gospel, where and why do the Mormon people not believe in their own Book of Mormon? Verses such as 2 Nephi 31 21, Mosiah chapter 15, Alma 11 35, 3 Nephi 11 27, ad infinitum. And why does the Book of Mormon not teach any of your unusual doctrines, such as man becoming a god? Okay, uh, there is a, uh, a very prevalent misconception that has been circulated by those who are opposed to the LDS faith, and that misconception is that the Book of Mormon does not teach Mormonism. Now, that particular idea is, 
is obviously obviously demonstrates that uh, someone taking that particular position has not paid a lot of attention to the Book of Mormon. But one of the most prevalent ideas, or one, one idea that appears throughout the Book of Mormon is the idea of continuing revelation. You might look in Nephi chapter 28. That would perhaps help you. Uh, in which is presented the idea that God reveals things line upon line, precept upon precept. There is, there has never been any claim within the LDS uh, faith, there was no claim by Joseph Smith, that everything that God has for man in this generation is to be found in the Book of Mormon. That was not his position ever. Uh, his position was one strongly of continuing revelation. Insofar as uh, reference, uh, your question could go on for a long time, but insofar as uh, your question about uh, specific passages in the Book of Mormon, uh, I am not aware of any passage in the Book of Mormon where in the uh, Mormons, Mormons past or present have ever said, we don't believe in this passage. The fact is the Book of Mormon is used throughout our lesson manuals, it's used throughout uh, everything that we cite as a basic source of our religion, and it, pre and it presents uh, I made a list one time of about 30 unique concepts of Mormonism that are, that are found in the Book of Mormon uh, throughout. The ideas of apostasy and restoration, the idea of uh, ideas pertaining to uh, the, the place of America and in uh, the uh, restoration and so forth. I could give you a list of uh, many unique ideas, but to say that all unique ideas or all teachings of, of Mormonism are to be found in the Book of Mormon would be to take a position uh, just exactly opposite of the basic position of Mormonism found in Article of Faith number 9. Read on in the Articles of Faith. Thank you. Question for Dr. Martin. I, I'd, like to, I'd like to comment on this. Those passages you made reference to all affirm that there is one God. Mr. Hale just got through telling us that the Mormon, he can't understand how I can possibly be confused about the fact that Mormonism teaches there is one God. Well, does he not read his own prophet? He does not read Joseph. Joseph says, I am going to tell you how God came to be God. Simple logic will tell you if you have to come to be God, you're not eternal. Eternal means from everlasting to everlasting. So how can you sit here and tell us with a straight face that Jesus Christ is eternal God when Joseph Smith says God came to be God? Explain that logical contradiction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would like to respond to that, Dr. Martin. Uh, the, uh, the position that Joseph Smith took, and I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, maybe you've read Joseph Smith's King Follett Discourse, maybe you haven't, but in, in his discourse, surely you're jesting. Well, then let, let, me, let me ask you a question. You read the Maze of Mormonism, you know I quoted it there twice. Uh, but quoting something is different from reading it. Okay, isn't it? Okay, then let me ask you the question. Let me ask you this question, since you've read it. What does, what does Joseph Smith say in the uh, King Follett Discourse, which I have in front of me? We can, we can turn to it and read it. What does he say in there about, uh, uh, about the eternal nature of God in reference to uh, man and God? I mean, who, is God? Does Joseph Smith say God is not eternal? Well, I just in the, I just in the simplest possible terms showed you logically how if God had to become God, then he could not be eternal. 
I mean, that's common sense. You don't okay. need to interpret mm -hmm. Joseph. That's common sense. Now, Joseph says, I'm going to tell you how God came to be God. We have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will take away the veil so that you may see. And then he tells you, you've got to become God the way God became God. Now, simple logic will tell you if you have to become something, you are not the nature of that something before. Therefore, you are not telling the truth when you say you believe in Jesus Christ as the eternal God because you don't believe in an eternal God. Well, that's, that's fine to present. Well, we'll get a response and then we'll turn it back to some audience questions. That, that's fine to present your logic as a uh, presentation of Joseph Smith's statement. Okay. Let me go to it here. You know, I am looking at the uh, teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 352, in which Joseph Smith presents that not only is God eternal, but also that man is eternal. Are you familiar with that idea within the King Paul discourse? The only problem is your logical uh, structure collapses. Because if man is eternal and God is eternal, then God and man are eternal. And if God and man are eternal, there is no man. You only have God. Okay, but we're not talking about your logic. We're talking. We're, I, don't know I teach logic. I'm not giving you my logic. I'll get you a oh, textbook okay. and let you read it, chapter I'm, and verse. I'm going. I'm going to intervene. Uh, <laughs> I think. I think we're going to go back and forth, kind of like a tennis match on this issue. And, and, we'll, and we'll turn the floor over to a question uh, for Dr. Martin. Dr. Martin, I uh, wanted to know if you had some more verses to uh, show the substance as it was put, of God. Yes, I was going to respond to that. Uh, when he said that, I could hardly believe my ears. When he said that the Greek church believed in homoousius versus the Latin church believing in homoousius. Uh, I don't know where you got that from, but you need to go back and study church history and Greek. First of all, homoousius means like substance with. Homoousius means the same substance. Both churches agreed to that on the deity, always. Homoousius was the Arian heresy, which said that Jesus Christ is like God, but not God. Now, it's amazing that you would make the statement, as you did before, that nowhere does the Bible teach that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are the same substance. Now, if you would read Hebrews chapter 1 in English, or Greek, but Greek is better, it says, who being the brightness of Yahweh's glory, Apogazmates doxes, who being the image of his person, King James, which is, who pastasios tes character, the nature and substance of God. So the Son and the Father are identical substance. No doubt about it whatsoever. Now, as far as the Spirit is concerned, nobody has ever denied that in church history because the Spirit of God is God's nature. Therefore, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, contrary to what you said, share exactly the same nature. Now, if you've got a Greek New Testament there, check it for yourself. I can quote it to you. Well, that's, that's fine that you quote it, but, but the point is, okay, the point is... But you can see the point. Yeah, I see your point, but the... You see the, the point of the Greek. No, I, what I see the point of is that you're, you're presenting your particular interpretation of Hebrews... I quoted the Greek okay. word to okay. you. Okay, but what does the Greek word mean? Likeness. Likeness. Hypostasios, in Greek, the hypostatic union of the Trinity, hypostasios means 
the identical nature. Identical. Now, if you'd like oh. proof of that, I'd be glad to give you ten lexicons on it. It okay. says the same nature. That's what Athanasius quoted against the aliens. But this is what you do on your program all the time. You do not know Greek. You do not know the fathers. You do not know church history. And you pontificate on the air and attack people that do. So. <laughs> Okay. I, yeah, I, I was in the middle of a sentence there when Dr. Martin and the audience interrupted me. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate your graciousness here. Uh, the, fa the fact is, what I do quote, I don't, I've never claimed to be a Greek scholar as, I don't know, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but I, I do claim to have read a number of Greek scholars and to have read what uh, this particular passage has reference to. And the... You have. You have read Greek scholars that said that hypostasios doesn't mean nature. What, what I have read in reference to this particular passage, and this is, uh, and I can, I can give you some sources on this, but the, the fact is that, uh, well, I, I'm, I'm maybe not going to get to make my statement, I, I suppose, here, but uh, uh, the exact likeness of God is the term being presented, not that they are of the identical substance. And the term, the term in, uh, that's being used here in the Greek text, as I have read Greek scholars, and again, maybe you're superior to them, is that this is a term... I don't believe you. I don't believe you read those scholars. I deny the t what you're saying is the truth. Outright, yeah. flat out, you do not know what you're talking about. Well, you don't know what I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah, you, said, you just said it. Said it. You said, maybe I know more than Greek scholars, as if... You read Greek scholars that disagreed with what I said, and I'm right. telling you, they don't disagree that the word apostasios means nature. You haven't heard what I was going to say. I, I heard you say that. That's okay. enough, right? I, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Do you, go ahead and finish. Do you want me to finish the statement, or should we, or should just, should we just go on? Okay. Finish okay. okay. the statement. Okay, the, the point that has been uh, presented on this particular passage is that the term uh, here is making reference to a an item that was used anciently in uh, sealing letters where they would put a little bit of wax on it and they would take a seal and they would stamp the seal in the wax and that this that the that Jesus is being the term there is being used in that sense as being the exact impress of God may I comment then we'll get a question it's pretty perfectly right it is using the concept of sealing wax and of taking a seal and pushing it in the wax. What you don't know is that this wax in the Greek is hupastosios, the very nature of God, and all you get stamped in the wax is mankind. Jesus Christ became man. That's what the passage says in the Greek. It's not saying what you said, and there's many scholar I know that would dare go out and a limb and say it did. Well, okay, let's, let's, I'll quote it. I'll quote it later. Okay, <laughs> let's turn to another question uh, for Mr. Hale. Okay, Mr. Hale, you do not speak Greek. Do you speak Hebrew? No, I don't. Well, could Mr. Martin then read this one passage for you in Deuteronomy uh, 6, 4? Would you read it to him in the Hebrew, Dr. Martin? He doesn't understand if I read it in Hebrew. Well, it says in Hebrew, uh, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, don't pretend to be. I had three years of Hebrew and seven years of Greek, and that does not make me a Greek scholar or a Hebrew scholar, though I can read the text with the proper apparatus and all the necessary equipment. I don't rank myself with great scholars in this area. But nobody can tell me what the text says because I can read that for myself. So I can tell you what Deuteronomy 6.4 says easily. Here is real. The Lord our God, the Lord is one Lord. 
That's what it says. Echod. The word echod there means in union. Does that mean Elohim and Jehovah? That's what I've been told. And I, I, would you clarify that? There is great error in Mormon thinking at that know. point because they think that Jehovah is Jesus and Elohim is his father. Right. A simple lesson in Hebrew would show them in uh, Exodus chapter 3, excuse me, uh, Genesis chapter 3, that uh, Elohim and Yahweh are compounds of the phrase Lord God. Yahweh Elohim. So you combine the two of them, and you're not at all talking about the Father and the Son, you're talking about the whole Trinity when you talk about Yahweh Elohim. Thank you. Okay. As, since that question was really directed at Dr. Martin, we're going to take another question from uh, this side. <laughs> Mr. Hale, first of all, I'd like to thank you for being here. Uh, I'm under the understanding that uh, the Mormon Church was consulted to have a representative here, and uh, you're the only one that has come. And so I thank you for being here. No adage. There's an old adage that goes, a man who doesn't stand for something will fall for anything. And so I, I can appreciate uh, the position that you're in. Your church prints a pamphlet called What the Mormons Think of Christ. On page two it says, if all men believed the Bible, all would be Mormons. Bible doctrine is Mormon doctrine, and Mormon doctrine is Bible doctrine. They are one and the same. Could you please show me, out of my King James Bible, where Jesus and Lucifer are spirit brothers, and where Jesus is the first begotten between Elohim and Heavenly Mother. Okay, um, I think the the you know one of the problems that uh, it goes back to this first question that was brought up, and that is the idea of uh, continuing revelation. There is not uh, if if your interpretation of this particular statement from this passage in uh, What Mormons Think of Christ, if your interpretation is that this, uh, this author uh, was taking the position that everything that is in Mormonism is found in the Bible, then you're mistaken in that position. That is not the position of the author of the pamphlet, it is not the position of Mormonism. But there is, I think, clearly presented within the uh, Bible in numerous passages, and in fact the, the, the whole of the Bible attests to this that God is unfolding or revealing, uh, Paul makes reference uh, that we know in part and we prophesy in part and so forth. Uh, Isaiah talks about God revealing line upon line, precept upon precept. So, Man, again, I am struck. I, these are the exact arguments the emergence use. This is crazy. Satan is like a one-hit wonder. He's got one template and he, oh, man. So if you're asking for me to present to you from the Bible a statement of everything that is believed by uh, any, you know, any collection of Latter-day Saints, uh, that obviously is not something that, uh, that we believe can be done in the first place. Thank you. A question for Dr. Martin. Yeah. Dr. Martin, uh, Mr. Van de Hale has appealed to the early church fathers in order to uh, substantiate or try to substantiate at least his idea that the, the now Christian concept of the Trinity is not uh, the same as your definition or that of, of what we would consider to be the same as what the Church Fathers taught and specifically in the area of the subst substance of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being, of one, being one. And I'd like to uh, cite a couple of short excerpts from three 
separate church fathers and ask you to comment on them if you would. Yes, I will. Uh, Justin Martyr, in his oratory address to the Greeks, uh, says, whereby the misanthropic, uh, misanthropic demon contrived to deceive them when he said to them, if you obey me in transgressing the commandment of God, ye shall be as gods, calling these gods which had no being in order that men, supposing that there were other gods in existence, might believe that, that, that themselves could become gods. And he further on says, This fancy, therefore, concerning uh, gods, had its origin with the father of lies. God, therefore, knowing that the false opinion about the plurality of gods was burdening the soul of man like some disease, and wishing to remove and eradicate it, appeared first to Moses and said, I am he who is. Then Theos... Uh, uh, Theophanically. <laughs> no, uh, uh, Theophilus, bishop of Antioch, A.D. 15, or 115 to 1... Uh, uh, 88 uh, 2 and Tolicus in his book 2 chapter 15 says in like manner also the three days which were before the luminaries are types of the Trinity of God his word and his wisdom Tertullian which uh, Mr. Van Hale quoted AD 160 to 220 against Praxis 2 says in the case of this heresy modalism which supposes itself to possess the pure truth in thinking that one cannot believe in any God in any one God in any other way than saying that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the very same person, as if in this way also one were not at all in, in that all are one in unity, that is, of one substance, while the mystery of dispensation economy, or economy, is still guarded, which distributes the unity in the Trinity, placing them in order the three, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, three, however, not in condition, but in substance, and of one condition and of power, in as much as he is God, from the three degrees and forms are reckoned under the name the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Would you comment on that, please? <laughs> I can comment very simply by saying the first quotation I would agree with, and the second quotation too, because they're both against heresies and false doctrines. Incidentally, I just happened to glance down here and noticed that Sunstone Magazine on page 26 in an article by Mr. Hale dealing with this subject, defining the Mormon doctrine of deity, quotes the classic statement of the Athanasian Creed. We worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding or confusing or mixing the persons, nor dividing the substance. Historically, this has been the orthodox definition. There are three distinct persons of one divided substance. You said you didn't know where it was. You wrote it. That's, uh, that's a fine statement. Okay. You wrote it. That's right. That's right. That's right. I cited, uh, and I appreciate you bringing that up. I mean, I'm not. I bet you do. Well, I bet you appreciate my bringing it up. Yeah. As, as I cited earlier, the fact is that uh, the Athanasian Creed, dating to the fourth or fifth century, uh, is the classic and has been the classic statement of the Trinitarian. Then it's not Walter Martin's view, is it? Well, I'm not. I'm not saying that this is Walter Martin's view. What I am saying, but you said that earlier. Well, yes, you have been expressing your point of view. And, but you said that it was my point of view. You see, as if my view was a relatively new position, whereas here you're holding in your hand no. yourself, <laughs> stating that it's the oldest position in the history of the church. No, that that isn't what I said. Would you read yourself? Yeah, I'll read, read yourself. Read, read myself. Read yourself. I did not say that this was the oldest position in the history. What is classic? Have you read? Have you read the? Well, classic doesn't mean the oldest. Classic doesn't mean the oldest. 
I can tell that somebody's read this article because you've got it all marked up. <laughs> oh, yes. I, I do my homework. He, he, he respects you as an author. He's, he's, uh, he or somebody's marked my article all up, but if you, if you recall what you've read, I have not, uh, I did not indicate that this was the earliest concept of God, but this, I'm talking here about you know an early development. Well, you know an early one? Certainly. Monarchianism was earlier than Trinitarianism. As earlier than the Athanasian Creed. Monarchianism is earlier than the Athanasian Creed. Uh, was Sibelius before or after the uh, Athanasian Creed? I, I'm positively amazed by the fact that you keep citing heretics. Sibelius is a heretic. Well, <laughs> well, that's not the point. Oh, yes, that is the no, point. That is not the point. <laughs> that is not the point. <laughs> the, the point is that in early Christianity there was a diversity of points of view. You make reference to an article of mine. Nobody disagreed. And, and, you, and you're trying to turn the article that I've written into a statement which I did not make within the article. Uh -huh. uh, look, this one you don't get out of. Hand it back to me. Well, let me, okay, let me yeah, I, I want to read you to you okay. again. Okay, let, let me read it for you. Okay? <laughs> since, since you stop there a little bit. Well, just read what I quoted. Uh, I know, that's, that's the way you can make your point, is if I read only what you quoted. Well, you wrote it. <laughs> I know, but I wrote, I wrote, as you can see, you're quoting one little point. That you point made that point that's in right. your article. Right. You quoted the Athanasian Creed to make your point. Then you generously stated after that what I read. You agreed right. that this was the no dividing of the substance. And yet you said less than 20 minutes ago, sitting right where you are, that you didn't know anything that could substantiate that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were the same substance. Now, you said that. No, I, I did not say that. I did not say that. I made... I made there's reference. I made reference. There's a tape of you saying it. I, I made reference to the Bible that within the Bible there is not any reference to that. I cited myself, not less than 20 minutes ago, the Athanasian Creed. But did I quote the Athanasian Creed? What you're missing is that I showed you that the Athanasian Creed is based on Hebrews 1. No, you didn't it, show it, that at all. This may be another unresolvable <laughs> issue. Let's turn, let's turn to a question from Mr. Hale. Onward. Uh, Mr. Hale, I believe yeah, Walter Martin's opening comments, he mentioned that the Mormon Church denies the virgin birth. Um, if I recall, I don't think he responded to that. Would you please? Yes, I would uh, respond to that uh, in this sense. Uh, the Mormon Church has never denied the virgin birth ever. Uh, uh, let him explain. <laughs> please do. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Book of Mormon presents Mary as being the virgin, okay, in the Book of Mormon. Uh, Brigham Young talks about the Virgin Mary, okay? But the point is, I, I think the real point involved in all of the uh, discussion about, about Jesus Christ and the Virgin birth, birth is the question of the sonship of Jesus Christ. I mean, who is his father? Right. And I think that's the point. Everyone's concerned about the, uh, the means of uh, conception, which the Bible doesn't suggest. Uh, uh, no, the, the, the Bible does not tell us the means by which the conception took place. Not in detail. Okay. Uh, would you open your Bible to? Uh, okay. Uh, uh, let me finish. Everyone. Okay. Let me finish my comment, and then and then you can interrupt me after I finish. Okay. The uh, the point is the whole point of the uh, passage in Matthew and of the LDS point of view is that that's that people want to try and cloud is that Jesus is not the son of Joseph, but is the literal son of the Father. He is the son of God, literally. And that the Father is 
<laughs> is the Father. Uh, there have been those who have uh, speculated in Mormonism as to how that particular operation took place, and there are those who have speculated that it was through the process of sexual intercourse. Uh, that does not in any way represent the LDS point of view on the subject, and and there is not a uh, there simply is not a statement that can be presented that I have ever seen, maybe Dr. Martin can do it, present a statement that says uh, from an LDS leader, we do not believe in the virgin birth. There is no statement like that that I have ever seen. Okay. Now, now uh, you know, maybe you can turn to Dr. Martin's logic again and you can say, well, logically, this is what you have to be saying, as he's been doing before. But, but I, I'd like to see a statement. Well, let's turn to Dr. Martin. Well, I'd be happy to give you a number of statements on the subject. Uh, will Brigham Young do? Brigham Young would do. Let me hear him say we do not believe Mary was a virgin. Let's hear it. Oh, why you changed it? No, 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 no. You said virgin birth. Now you're saying Mary's a virgin. You are equating the virgin birth and Mary's virginity. I'm going to ask a question and I want an answer to. Brigham Young said that he, uh, that Jesus Christ, quote, was not begotten by the Holy Ghost. Was not begotten by the Holy Ghost. Matthew chapter 1 says, from the angel Gabriel, extremely reliable angel. The angel Gabriel says in Matthew chapter 1 that that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Ghost. Contradicts Brigham flat out. Brigham also said that Jesus came into existence uh, by sexual relations between the Father, whom he designated as Adam, but seven years ago you changed to Elohim. So my question to you is this. In your doctrine of the virgin birth, the Mormon doctrine of the virgin birth, do you believe that Elohim had sexual relations with the Virgin Mary in order to produce the child Jesus? I've already showed you Brigham Young believed that, and I'll give you five or six other quotes. You, you didn't show that, however. I mean, you, you, didn't, you didn't cite the term. Well, you would, not would, term would you uh, be kind enough just to review a moment ago what I said? Brigham Young said he was not begotten by the Holy Ghost. Now, if Matthew says he was, then that's the doctrine of the virgin birth. Therefore, Brigham is denying it. Well, the point that Brigham Young was making in his, in his uh, statement. Could you answer my question? The real question. Do you, believe that, question. do you believe that Elohim came, had sex with the Virgin Mary, and generated Jesus of Nazareth rather than letting any other man do it? Well, that's that's not a quote. That's a Dr. Martin quote, unquote. Not oh, Emma. No, no. Uh, here it is. He was the first of the human family. When he took a tabernacle, it was begotten by his father in heaven, after the same manner as the tabernacles of Cain and Abel and the rest of the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. So far as I know, Cain and Abel's bodies were produced by sexual relations. The rest of the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve were produced by sexual relations. Talmadge agrees with that. Quote Jesus Christ is the offspring of a mortal mother and of an immortal or resurrected and glorified father. Close quote. Now, what I want you to tell me is, did God have sex with Mary to produce Jesus of Nazareth? Is that your doctrine of the virgin birth? Okay, and let, let me answer that question. Okay. okay. Uh, as you had cited, I mean, you, you, you state that you were citing from Brigham Young and from James E. Talmadge that they have said that Elohim had sex with Mary, and of course, uh, 
Abraham said Adam God did. No, he didn't. He did not. Have you read John Nuttall's diary? He was his secretary. Well, Nuttall well, says Brigham said that. Said what? Well, I just quoted to you. Now, uh, Adam okay, God okay. fathered Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, I, uh, let, me, let me make a statement on this uninterrupted, if that's at all possible. But stop making the statement, you're always being interrupted. You're not being interrupted. <laughs> you're not being interrupted. Let's go ahead and we'll give you an ch- opportunity there to answer that question. Well, let me wait till I can answer it. Are you through interrupting? I mean, <laughs> are you going to interrupt me? Go ahead and answer, ahead and answer that, then we'll okay. have another question from the audience. Okay, this, this is the point, that uh, two points I would like to make in reference to this. I've already indicated that there have been those uh, uh, among the Latter-day Saints who have speculated as to how the conception took place. However, that there is no position, LDS position, on that particular point. Uh, there never has been, and I don't think there ever will be. Uh, but the point that Brigham Young is making in that passage that you're citing is he's emphasizing the fact that Jesus was the Son of God in the, in the same sense that others uh, were sons of their fathers and that, uh, that he was not the Son of the Holy Ghost. I mean, you turn to the New Testament, uh, John chapter 14, for example, where there is a clear distinction made between the Father, Son, and the, Holy, and the Holy Ghost, and Jesus is consistently presented not as being the Son of the Holy Ghost, but as being the Son of the Father, and that was Brigham Young's point. He was not the Son of the Holy Ghost, he was the Son of the Father, but it has always been maintained in, uh, in LDS belief that the Holy Ghost, that Mary conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost, but, but not to the sense that the Holy Ghost was the Father of Jesus. And that was the point, and when you take it to the extent of saying, uh, of trying to apply it and say that what he was saying there was that there was a sexual relationship that took place, you're, you're going beyond the of the Holy Ghost because he is Jesus' Father in your concept. I've been listening here to all the Walter Martin-isms here. Uh, and I think this is what it is here. Is, uh, do you have a question? Yes, yeah. I do. Ask a question. Uh, you have allowed other people to make statements. I wish I'd like to make mine here very briefly. We really, we really prefer okay. just questions, and we're running out of time. Well, so please ask first a now, question. I have a statement here, or not a statement, a question that uh, you know you don't want to hear. But my question is, if that's all you'll allow me to do, uh, because I don't agree with you, but. Uh, you have made many statements uh, here today and also on your program that uh, the uh, Jewish people nor the early Christians believed such and such. Okay, I'd like to have you talk, tell me the name of one Jewish Orthodox person right now, today or ever, that believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and that he is God. Give me one name, would you please, of one Orthodox Jew that believes that Jesus is the Christ. Now, not, you know, that he believes this, now that, 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 that these no. people, I believe, as I recall, it wasn't it the Jewish people that crucified Christ because he was stating that now, fact. just a second. There's a, this a typical smokescreen over no, the issue. No this is the issue. Answer the question. Uh, I'll answer, oh, I'll answer the question directly. You know perfectly well that an Orthodox Jew is not going to say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God unless he's converted to Christianity. Isn't that right? Then he becomes a Christian. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, no. He becomes a Christian by religion, but he remains a Jew by covenant. We are the children of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. We are the spiritual Jews, right. the church of Jesus Christ. Okay. That's biblical but, theology. But now, what saying, my, well, my question to you is, what, what is this? What are you trying to prove? Okay, all I'm saying is you said that the uh, early church 
leaders and and the Jewish people stated and believed that there was one God and Jesus is the Son of God. No, I never and they, said and that. They, and they, said did, that. they did not say that. They crucified him because he said I'm, that. Listen, read my lips, okay? It's hard to, I, it's hard to when you double talk. Now, now yeah, we, we want to stick to questions here. Okay. I, I hope you noticed that because this is why I'm here today. A couple of years ago, I was invited to go on Mormon Miscellaneous. Did you go? I didn't go because on Mormon Miscellaneous, they played a tape of a man who said he worked with me, he knew me, that I was supposed to be a phony and out for money, and they never even called me on the telephone to ask me his name. They never even wrote me a letter and asked me whether or not it was true. You just went on the air and lied about me, you and your friend. Now, in Brigham City, in front of an audience three times this size, with that man sitting there and you there and your co-host, I asked you if you had the guts to stand up and say it to my face, and you didn't, and neither did he. And I'm here today because you did the same thing again. You invited me on the program, and then you went on the program and said, you were going to give me the benefit of the doubt that somehow I hadn't showed up and that uh, I'm supposed to have sent a telegram. Well, here's the certified copy of the telegram. It was delivered to you. You know perfectly well I received it. And the telegram said I wouldn't be there. Now, the reason I'm here is because Mormon Miscellaneous, which was known among the trade as Mormon Massacre, Mountain Meadows all over again, was to bring Christians on there and chew them up. And the implication was, and it was stated by a number of people, Walter Martin wouldn't show up. Walter Martin was terrified of Van Hale. He could take on little Mormon missionaries, but never Van Hale. Walter Martin has challenged in Salt Lake City for 27 years for you to produce one professor from Brigham Young University that's got the guts to come on the platform. One general authority, one Mormon scholar who says he represents the church, and they all do it. I think that uh, Mr. Hill does deserve the right to respond to that. Right. Well, there, you know, I, I have difficulty being as, uh, as aggressive and uh, I would just, uh, as Dr. Martin in this, in this respect, and I'm not going to accuse Dr. Martin of presenting lies, but he has presented some several misstatements of information in regards to this particular issue that I don't know how it relates to this question, but uh, at any rate, uh, I do have in my possession, uh, <laughs> I do have in my possession, I thought I would keep it uh, just to make sure I have it, the, uh, the facts regarding a, an invitation, uh, uh, a proposed appearance of Dr. Martin earlier this month on KZZI's Daily Religious Forum in Salt Lake City. I thought uh, I, I have no apology for how I handle that particular situation. I found out by a phone call from the station an hour and a half before we were to, to have you on the air that uh, you would not be there. I called Christian Research Institute. I talked to a person by the name of Linda. Don't know her last name. Maybe you know her. She's my secretary. I, that's what I was told. That she was your secretary. And I called there to find out uh, if this were true, that you were not going to be on the air. Now, I don't know whether she, did she pass that along to you that I had called? Nope. 
I wasn't okay. in the office. All right. I called there to find out, and the reason that I called was because we had not received a telegram indicating that you would not be on the air. I indicated uh, to those who were expecting this to happen when you weren't there that uh, I would give you the benefit of the, of the doubt, as you, has, you had acknowledged, that a telegram was sent. But I had called Western Union, and uh, I have the name of the person I talked to there, who uh, indicated spent uh, half an hour looking at telegrams that were sent that day and could not find it. I recognize that Western Union is a large company and uh, something can get lost. Two days after you would appear on the program, we did receive the telegram. I have it with the postmark and so forth. Uh, so the problem was with Western Union, and I pointed that out, brought it out on the air, that this was the situation. And I, I think that you're totally in error in criticizing me for this particular situation. In regards to the tape that we played, uh, you, you have made uh, half a dozen misstatements of fact about uh, a tape that we played some, ba some time back about a fellow who mentioned that he had been on the program with you one time, and uh, you don't know his name, apparently. You don't know whether that's a true statement or not. That's not you true. Called, you called me. What was his, what's his name? That's not true. I know whether, whether I met a man who says he preached on platforms with me, worked with me. I know that. Nobody has now, to tell me about that. Okay, but, what, but what's the name of the individual that, uh, of this tape that we played? I don't have your tape here. I can't tell I, I know. I know. And so what I'm saying is you're saying, why didn't you call me? following the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. Receive no accusation oh. against an elder. Why didn't you call me and ask me if what that man said was true before you played well, the tape? He, he made one little passing statement in this uh, in this That's not value. true. Yes, it is. No, it is true. We have to I'm, I'm going to intervene here and say that we're grateful that both Mr. Hale and Dr. Martin can be here together today and ask that we have another question for Mr. Hale. Okay, Van, in your um, statement, you said that you believed that the LDS Church believes in the divinity of Christ, that he is eternal God, and you did use that word, eternal God. Uh, from the uh, vantage point of the law of eternal progression, where all of the spirits that are in the spirit world that are children of the Heavenly Father and Mother have to come to earth and live and die and be exalted before they can become a god, uh, in the LDS doctrine, it is taught that Jesus Christ was a spirit child, in fact, of God the Father and one of his wives. At what point did Jesus Christ become the eternal God if he was, in fact, a spirit child of the of a heavenly father and mother? At what point did he become God before he was born to go through the law of eternal progression? Well, I have no idea at what point, but uh, what your comment, uh, I think, demonstrates a misconception of LDS thinking that I have heard a time or two, and I don't know exactly where it comes from, but the idea that a, that Jesus could not have been uh, God before coming to this earth because he did not have a body of flesh and bones is an idea which has never been espoused by Mormonism. The Holy Ghost does not have a body of flesh and bones in LDS thinking, and yet the Holy Ghost is God in uh, throughout the presentations in our LDS scripture. So the idea... Uh, I see people shaking their heads, but uh, if you will uh, look, for example, at the testimony of the three witnesses in the Book of Mormon, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are one eternal God. Uh, Jesus, as I cited to you Book of Mormon references, every Book of Mormon reference I cited earlier in my comments were Book of Mormon references referring to Jesus as being God prior to the time of his incarnation in the flesh. So. You know, regardless of how you feel about it, the LDS point of view has never been that Jesus, it has always been that Jesus was God before the Incarnation. 
I've cited the references. If uh, you know someone has something that would uh, refute that, I I hear it. You know. Thank you. You want to go ahead and respond? That's a good point about eternal God. We just got the same thing all over again. I was accused of double talk. Uh, let's hear this one. Jesus Christ is eternal God. The Holy Spirit is God. But there are many gods, and they are one, each of those gods. How is he eternal God if he is just one God among many gods? That is not addressed. Mormon theology has never taught that Jesus Christ is the eternal God because it doesn't believe in an eternal God. It's an infinite progression of God. Okay, let's have another question for Dr. Martin. Yes, thank you, Dr. Martin and Van Hale, for coming. I think it's been enjoyable and enlightening for all of us. Um, <clears throat> I think there's been some substantial discussion, as I understand, going on in determining the debate for today on the topic of what is Christianity. I'm wondering if we could get a commitment from both of you, Dr. Martin, you and, and Van, both, to come back your next time through Utah and debate your book, The Maze of Mormonism, and get into some of the nitty-gritty that you've got in here in this book. The debate of the maze of Mormonism material, uh, I have debated Mormon bishops. I've debated far more qualified men than Mr. Hale by his own definition. I have debated Mormon professors. I have debated people who allegedly know a great deal about Mormonism. And uh, every reference in maze of Mormonism to my knowledge, was checked and cross-checked. That does not mean that you can't have a wrong reference. It doesn't mean that you can't have a wrong address for a verse or a quote. Everybody has that problem with hundreds and hundreds of quotes. But you're talking about, do the quotes exist? Are they in context? And is it accurate? The answer is yes. I have no desire to do a continuing debate with Mr. Hale. I just reissue what I have constantly said. Mr. Hale, sitting here today, will tell you himself. He does not represent the Mormon Church. He represents himself and his view as a single Mormon. I, as a professor of comparative religions, apologetics, biblical studies, would like a similar person from Brigham Young University or a general authority or an apostle designated by the Mormon Church to represent them. Once we have them represented publicly, then I will be happy to truck out the maze of Mormonism and a suitcase full of documents, and we will have a two- or three-hour debate on the subject. How's that? Sounds good. I think the answer, the answer is no, then. The answer is no. The answer is I want a qualified authority. He's not a qualified authority. I'm only here today for one reason. I'd like to hear Mr. I'm only here today for one reason. I told you what the reason is. Because of the slanderous stuff that was played on the air before and the implication that somehow or other I was afraid to show up. I haven't been afraid to show up for 36 years and I hope for 36 more. Oh. Yes, I'd like to make a comment on that and, uh, you know, I, I recognize that Dr. Martin has uh, no respect for me, no regard, obviously, from his statements uh, and uh, feels that he is, uh, you know, he would like somebody qualified to talk with him, but I would be happy. Uh, I've always had a forum open for the last eight years uh, in which Dr. Martin is certainly welcome to come and discuss any, any topic that he would like to. Uh, I have not made any slander statements about Dr. Martin, either in public or in private, and uh, I'm sorry that you have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry about the uh, problem that uh, you see in your great... Uh, erudition and my total lack of knowledge in regards to Mormonism, but uh, the fact is that what I hear you saying 
is that you want somebody who can speak for Mormonism. I wonder how is it that you feel that you are authorized to speak for Mormonism and for the Mormon Church and to present what is Mormon doctrine. I have stated to you, I made a comment here a minute ago, and you saying, no, uh, that is not the belief of Mormonism. Uh, I'm wondering why you think that you are the authority and the one who can speak officially for Mormonism. I never said I was the authority. I never said that I could speak officially for Mormonism. I said at the beginning of this lecture and debate that your own documents from your archives, published by you with your imprimatur, meaning that you approve of them, speak for you. I am capable, logically, as Orson Sear told me, rationally, reasonably, and biblically, of analyzing what you said. And I'm therefore capable of writing it. In 1964, my book was reviewed by Brigham Young University when it first came out. Brigham Young University uh, professors who read the book didn't like it, but they have yet to produce one single refutation of the sources that were quoted in the book and what Mormon theology is. You say, what right do I have to do it? I have the right as a Christian minister to defend the Christian church against non-Christian cults, which the Mormon church is, and I intend to exercise that right. Hey, let's, let's see if we can get a question for Mr. Hale. Stand because of passage of time. I'll make this real quick. John 17:3, Jesus plainly states, and this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. You and I would both agree, Jesus Christ was the greatest teacher of Christianity of any man who has ever walked the face of the earth, including Joseph Smith and his prophets, any Christian teacher. Common sense tells me, as a simple person, if there truly were many true gods, we're not talking about false gods now, this would have been a beautiful chance for our Lord Jesus to let us know that our eternal life depends upon our knowing the truth concerning not the one true God, but the truth concerning gods. And I'm saying that, I'm asking you this question. In your presentation, if I've understood you correctly, you have said that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Three separate gods. You've said the thing that makes them one is not the unity of substance, but the unity of purpose. Jesus Christ here links himself with the one true God. Our eternal life, knowing the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou sent. And this is my question, I'll make it simple. <laughs> if, in fact, there are many true gods, as I believe you believe, and I think you would agree that you have the possibility of becoming, certainly not a false god in the hereafter, but a true god. Why did not the Lord Jesus Christ at this time state that eternal life meant our knowing the one true gods rather than the one true God? Okay. Thank you. I think that's a good question. I think it was well stated. Uh, the, the fact is that within the LDS belief, we believe in a plurality of gods in a particular sense, and we believe in only one God in another sense. And the... Uh, when it depends upon the frame in which you were speaking. For example, within the New Testament, in the epistles of Paul, for example, there are a couple of hundred instances where Paul makes a clear distinction, makes clear statements that there is one God and one Lord. He draws a, a distinction between the Father who is God and Jesus who is Lord. 
And there is a sense within the writings of Paul in which you can say, uh, based upon 200 passages where he does this, that uh, only the Father is God. A distinction is made between the Father who is God and Jesus who is Lord. Now, uh, so we see that same kind of a concept in the LDS faith. There is one person who st whom we look to as being the one true God, and that can either be the Father, depending upon how we're using it, or it can be the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, the idea of God being used in different senses and is uh, clearly a biblical concept, and that's simply what I'm saying, is that in one sense we believe that, the thought that there is one, one and only one God, and in another sense, and in fact two or three other senses, we believe that there is more than one God. So, it's, it's biblical. Okay. Let's, turn to a question. Let's turn to a question for Dr. Martin. Uh, earlier in the, in the debate, you were defining God, etc., Dr. Martin, and you said, uh, and I've heard you say this basically in, on, in the same context in, on your program about uh, if the Jews don't know what the scriptures are, then nobody knows. But here you said, if the Jews don't know God, nobody does. And I'm just wondering, well, my, my question is, if you say, if the Jews don't know God, nobody does, uh, how do you explain the fact that they didn't know him and crucified him? The, um, before you clap too rapidly, you should read the Apostle Paul, who tells you as a former Pharisee and authority on the law, that if they had known who he was, they would not have crucified the Prince of Life. They didn't know because they rejected the scriptures concerning him. By rejecting the scriptures concerning him, they had a false idea of God. Their idea of God was that he was eventually going to send Messiah, and that Messiah was going to establish the kingdom, crush the Gentile nations, and exalt Israel. They totally ignored Isaiah 53, where Messiah would die for the sins of the people. They totally ignored Daniel chapter 9, where Messiah had to be cut off and die in Jerusalem for the sins. They ignored our Lord's own statements on the subject, that the Son of Man had to go and die. The Jews' concept of the nature of God was correct. There was only one God, and I'll stand with that forever. That's Judaism. But the Jews' misinterpretation of how God was going to redeem the world is explained by both Christ and the apostles. No need for me to explain it. Okay, thank you. A question for... We just have a few minutes left, so a question for Mr. Hale. Okay, I want to look you right in the face, because you're going to remember me. First, I would just like to tell you that Jesus Christ is Lord, and through him, and only through him, can your life be saved. Which brings me to, why then must you go through the temple and wear those underwears? <laughs> well, I, I appreciate your question, and uh, uh, for those who can't, can't see her, she is attractive, and I'm sure I won't forget her. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> And I appreciate your comment. Uh, I, I appreciate the sincerity with which you presented that, that Jesus is Lord, and I believe that, and I appreciate that. And, uh, of course, that is the central theme of Mormonism. Also, you, you will recall a statement of uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, in which he says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth forth out of the mouth of God. If you read the, the Bible from cover to cover, you are going to find that a large number of incidents 
are presented in the Bible of God directing things that sound quite peculiar to us today, to, the, to us who are, uh, to all of us. I mean, the, the idea in Exodus of anointing the lobe of the ear with uh, animal blood and so on and so forth, that's very strange to us today. But the fact is, if the Lord commands that we do it, and that's the concept within the LDS faith, if God commands us to do something, it doesn't matter whether it's anointing the lobe of the ear with blood or if it's wearing some special underwear or whatever it might be, okay? Uh, yes, that's what I... Mm -hmm. that's, what, where does it say that... Okay, let, let, let me restate your question. Where does God say that you must wear these temple garments? The fact is that the uh, LDS temple ceremony has been established as part, a very sacred part of our LDS faith, and uh, it is part of that whole concept of uh, temple worship. And it, uh, I, I guess your question is, where, where am I getting the information from? Well, I have been to the LDS temple myself, and uh, I wear the strange underwear that you're talking about. So <laughs> I, I didn't know we were going to talk about underwear, but I don't. Uh, it's, it's all right with me if that's what you want to do. Let's, let's turn to a question. We're going to have to end this at 4.15, which means that a number of you who have questions may not get to address them over the microphone, perhaps you can uh, corral Dr. Martin or Mr. Hale before uh, uh, the banquet this evening. We have a question for Dr. Martin, and I believe this may be the last question. I appreciate your background, Dr. Martin, so I can ask an intelligent question, uh, if I could put it into words. Sure. Yeah, um, Paul the Apostle, when he was at Athens, uh, what do you think of his reference to certain poets, one was named Aratus, who uh, was quoted in the scripture there in Acts that uh, certain uh, lines of his poem went, "You are the offspring of God." Uh, what is your feeling? Like I can quote a poet, Browning, that says, "Man is an embryonic form of God." That seems to parallel. We can go outside of the scriptures for truth. Oh, um, you hear a question? What do I think of uh, the poet Aratus, which was quoted in Acts chapter 17 by the Apostle Paul, where he says uh, that um, you are the offspring of God? And parallel this to the concept of going outside the scriptures for truth. Uh, that, uh, do I state it properly? Uh, I respond by saying, Paul quoted Aratus of Cilicia and Epimenides of Crete, two poets who were pagans, to prove a point that he was making in the context. The point was that God wasn't far from any one of them and that even the pagan mind could understand the fact that there was a creator, that we might feel for him, seek for him, and find him, because he was our creator. In that sense, we are the children of God. We were created by him. The animals are not sons and daughters of God. The animals are creations which perish, but man continues on by the grace of God. So you can go outside scripture for truth. I wouldn't deny that at all. Paul certainly did there. But I would draw to your attention that any source you quoted outside of scripture would have to be in accord with scripture. Aratus is in accord with Scripture. Epimenides is in accord with Scripture. Joseph Smith isn't. He contradicts Scripture, point by point by point. He says there's many gods. God says there's only one. Joseph says, I'm going to tell you how God came to be God, and God says, no need to do that because I'm the only one. I'm the first and I'm the last. Uh, Joseph Smith is a false prophet. 
because Joseph Smith contradicted the scriptures, not because he went outside for truth, but what he brought back was not in accord with the revealed word of God. That's the reason why. Thank you. Uh, did you want to make any comments about that? Okay. No. It is now 4.15, and uh, before we applaud these two gentlemen, I'm sure we all agree that the discussion, although heated at times, has been insightful and educational, and I'm sure we've all benefited by hearing uh, both points of view, and I think we owe them a, a w very warm round of applause. Okay, so there it was in all of its glory. What'd you think? I, I, I think it's a very interesting debate. <laughs> Tell you what, we're just going to cut right out here so we can all start our weekend. Would love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. Yeah, just, yeah, huh? Yep. Till next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.